Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, praise the Lord. Man, it's good to be here today. Are you happy to be here? Amen. Amen. I'm excited to preach today. It's been about three weeks since I've preached, and I've appreciated the time off, and uh, I'm just ready to preach. I want to preach. How many, you might not know this, but sometimes pastors, I think this is not unique to me by any means today, but I, I, uh, sometimes I just get up to the pulpit, or I get ready to start preparing my message, um, even when I'm working on it, and I just say, God, don't let this be just another message. You know, let it do something in the people's heart that would change them forever. You know, can you imagine that we feel that way sometimes as pastors? And uh, I definitely feel that way about this one this morning. Uh, I just want to wish all the fathers happy Father's Day. I'm not really going to preach on Father's Day, but uh, I think it's a great thing to be a dad. Um, I think uh, somebody, Cody, asked me, when do you start feeling like a dad? He's been a dad for a year and a half. He's like, when do you start feeling like a dad? I said, about the time you become a grandpa, you start feeling like a dad. So I think that's right. I don't know. But it's great, it, it's great to be a dad, and we celebrate you guys today, and we just pray your, your afternoon is filled with a lot of fun family time. Um, this morning, I want to start by telling you a little story. I was, uh, I don't know how old I was. I was young. Um, it was before I was a teenager, and we lived in, this, this, in the country and on an acreage, and right across this gravel road that we lived on, about four miles out of our little town that we lived in, was a, an abandoned gravel pit. And it wasn't a huge one, it was just kind of a small one, um, kind of an area where maybe some far, the farmer who owned it way back when uh, couldn't really plan on it, plant anything on it because it was so gravelly, and so they just used it, and for whatever reason it became a gravel pit. They took gravel out of there and put it on their gravel roads around the area. But it was a gravel pit, and how, how, I mean, you might be able to imagine this, it was a young boy's dream to go over there. I mean, there was stuff to do, right? There was a pond, and you could catch frogs, and you could wade in the pond, and maybe get a couple of uh, those little suckers, what are they called, leeches on you. Um, it was just a cool place, and they had all these little trees, and there was these little uh, you know, there are big hills going down, so in the wintertime it was like an awesome place to go sledding, and we just had a ball over at the gravel pit. When I uh, got a little older and I got my permit, uh, hunting permit as a young kid, I went over there and I shot things in season most of the time, um, and it was, it was just a really fun place, you know, like squirrels and rabbits and that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, we were, my brother and I were over there and we had gotten some hand saws. And we were really excited to get over there, and, and they had all these little willow trees that had kind of sprung up in the gravel pit down on the bottom, and we were to that age where we were driving these dirt bikes, not, not motorized ones, like the BMX kind of style, even though they didn't call them that, that back then. But we were on, on these bikes, and we would be tearing around the, the, the gravel roads and up and down the driveway, and we'd build ramps and all that kind of stuff. But at the gravel pit, when we got these saws, we were going to cut out paths that were wide enough for our handlebars to get through, and make like these BMX trails and go up the, the little mounds that were down there. And we, we thought we were just gonna be all that, you know? So we, we started working on these trails and, and cutting out um, these little willow trees at the base. And we worked our tails off. Um, hand saw is fine for the first few trees, but it gets pretty tiring after the next few. 
but we did. And, and while we were in the midst of, of getting through there and working hard and sweating, um, one day we were in there and, and all of a sudden I hear this noise that I'd never really heard from my brother. He was three years older than me. You know, I looked up to him and I heard this noise. It was like a squeal and a, and a scream and a cry all, all at once. We had got into a big yellow jacket nest that was in the willows, willow trees. And so he got hit first. I heard that noise and my little short legs just got to moving so fast. I ran out of that gravel pit, up the hill, you know, there was dust flying behind me. And I could hear, I never got stung. In fact, to this day, I've never been stung by anything. I'm 50 years old, never been stung, right? I run fast when there's a bee. <laughs> like a 12-year-old girl. Like, ah! And maybe this is why. But when I heard him scream, he kept run, he started running too. He goes, get out of here. So I ran, and he's, he's getting hit again and again behind me. I think he got hit six, seven times or something like that. Just nailed, and every time there's that squeal, I'll never forget it. Um, and I, I was thinking about the story. Uh, actually, it was kind of on my heart and in my mind when I was up north in Minnesota vacationing a little bit. We saw some, I saw some wasps on the water or something that just brought me back to that. And I just got thought, God, why, why are you making me think of this right now? Or why am I thinking about this? And it was like the Lord spoke to me and he said, when you spend your time in places you shouldn't, don't be surprised if you get stung. We should not have been down in there as close to their nest as we were. Now granted, we didn't know the nest was there, but we shouldn't have done it. And you know what, we did go back once in a while with, armed with bug spray and we got rid of them and we still made our, our place. But when, when you spend your time in places you shouldn't, don't be surprised if you get stung. And I want you to think about that as we're talking through this sermon this morning. First Corinthians 1533b says this, it's the second part of the verse, bad company, everybody say bad company. Look at your neighbor and say bad company. It's not them, hopefully. Bad company corrupts good character. There's so much wisdom in that little verse. You, you can meditate on that for a long time and never get to the bottom of all the meaning of that verse. It is amazing how many times that verse will come to my mind and how many times that verse has come to my mind in the last 40 years of my life and, and just kept me from trouble. That verse can help everybody in here. Bad company corrupts good character. When we keep bad company, our morals deteriorate. Did you hear me? When we keep bad company, our morals deteriorate. And let's be real, church, if we were to point or pinpoint what is going wrong with our families, what's going wrong with our churches, what's going wrong with our nation, it really comes back to this, bad company corrupts good character. It's a slow thing, it's a slow process. Things deteriorate slow. But like, it's, it's kind of like a piece of fruit when it rots from the inside out. And in these last days, it's, it seems that, to me that there are many turning away from the faith and following every wind of doctrine that comes their way. And I believe we are seeing the apostasy of the church in the last several years, and we're gonna see it more and more probably. 
The falling away that is predicted in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which says the day of the Lord won't come until there is a great rebellion against God. Did you hear me? We're waiting for Jesus to come back, but this scripture says it won't happen until there's a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. 1 Timothy 4 says, uh, says that, or tells us that the Holy Spirit clearly says this, that in the last days there will be those that turn from the faith. In the last days, they'll walk away from their relationship that they had with Jesus. And it doesn't make any sense to me because, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience his presence. Come to church and and feel the love of of, of a church family and feel the love of his people and feel the the, the wonderfulness that's in his presence and all that. And we we see all the blessings and we know that. But, But how can all that be true? And then people walk away from it. And yet the word of God we know is true and it and, and says that will happen. I believe we're seeing it now. People just up and walking away from Christ, willfully choosing to turn away from Jesus. And it's happening more rapidly as we get closer to the end. There are people that I did ministry with 20, 30 years ago that don't even believe in God anymore. And you know you have, you know people like that yourself. How can that be? And why do I bring all this up? Because the places we allow ourselves to go are not always good places. I know the Dr. Seuss book is, is kind of that positive thing. Oh, the places you go, the dreams, the imagination, you know, the sky's the limit of what you can do, and that's a great message, and I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing that message at all today. But I think the Holy Spirit says to us sometimes, oh, the places you go, come on. They may not be places that are necessarily forbidden in the word of God. They, they might be permissible, but they're just not beneficial. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I am allowed to do anything, anything I want. And this is Paul, and he says, but not everything is beneficial. Show me the moral character of those you associate with, and I will show you the moral character that you will eventually display in your own life. The Word of God says in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. As the moral character goes in the individual, so the moral character of the family. So goes the moral character of the church. And so goes the moral character of the nation. And I need to say this loud and clear this morning, and and I know I've said it before, but this attitude that seems to exist in our culture here in America, in our society, and it's even crept into the church quite a bit, this attitude of, you can't judge me. It's, it's like a cancerous infection, and, and it's, it's, it's got a firm foothold, like I said, even within the church. It's, gotta be ex- it's got to be exposed for what it is. It's a lie. That is a lie. You can't judge me. Word of God says you can't judge me. It does not say that. It says judge lest you be judged. Judge in a way that you want to be judged yourself. 
Well, guess what? If I'm messing up, I want to be judged by somebody who gets me back on the right track. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to die and go to hell. I want heaven to be my home. I don't want to end up walking away from Jesus and not coming back. And this idea of, you can't judge me. I can do whatever I want. Don't judge me. It ain't, it ain't truth. And I'm not here to judge anyone's salvation, but I will stand up here and say that I have to make judgment calls every day in reference to people. And, and, and whether or not they're too toxic for me to be around. And you need to do the same thing. The other day someone said to me, well, you know, you can't judge people. And although, again, there's an element of truth in that, an element, it's dripping with misdirection. And that's how the devil lies. He'll, he'll tell us things in a way that sound good because there's a hint of truth in it, but it's always distorted when it comes from him. Let, let me just give you an, an example. Would any of you leave your young children in the care of an individual who had been previously convicted of pedophilia but now claims they've changed? Of course not. That's ridiculous, of course not. But then you just judge somebody. We all make judgments about people all the time, and we need to, and when we decide to avoid certain places because we want to avoid bad company, we're making judgments that the Bible encourages us to make. Bad company corrupts good character. If you're not supposed to make a judgment call on someone else's character, then how does the scripture even help you? 1 Corinthians 5.11 says this, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater uh, or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. How do you do that without making a judgment call? And by the way, the Bible teaches us that you make those judgments based on the fruit that is evident in their life. Now let me bring some balance to this because when Christians become all about avoiding bad company, they can slip into just being isolationalists. Then the church becomes a holy huddle of believers and winning people to Jesus becomes next to impossible. You can't avoid bad company when you're going out in the highways and byways, compelling them to come to Christ, right? That's what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do. So understand that the key to bringing balance to this is in our being intentional about our going out and compelling them to come to Christ, going out and making disciples of every nation. When we do that, we're being intentional. We're not just hanging out with people that may have bad character for no reason at all. In other words, if our motivation is to win them to Jesus, then being in those places is part of our calling, and of course, the, the proof is in the motive of our heart. Do we have a plan? Are we using accountability practices? Are we prayed up before we go to those places? But let's leave that whole conversation for another message. What I wanna focus on this morning is the places we go when we're not being intentional in reference to kingdom building. Because we go places all the time that we shouldn't. I understand it's real easy to view this, the places we go, the hanging out with bad company, the, that thing in, in reference to being in specific physical places. That's kind of what we think about right away. And, and I'm gonna start right there, physical places, all the places we go physically. Where do we hang out? Is it the gossip corner of the office? 
Is it the negative Monday morning quarterbacks at the local coffee shop? Is it those behind the scenes secretively having meetings to to thwart God's installed authority? Is it that group of kids at school that love to rip on everyone else? Where do we hang out? Is it in the bars? Is it in your living room watching morally corrupt programs that are not life-giving? Is it with toxic friends or family? Is it in casinos? Is it in alone? Is it alone in a room where you can have privacy as you search the internet to see anything you want to see? Is it just sitting with the guys or the gals after work listening to all the perverse conversations? Is it the locker room joining in on the course joking? I, there's, I could go on and on and on. There's a lot of places we can go, but, but ask yourself, where do you hang out? Where do you enjoy being? Where do you spend your time? And all these represent physical places that we can go and that we can choose to remove ourselves from. It's a choice. And, and one question can answer whether you should leave or not or be in those places or if it's a healthy place or a good place for you. If Jesus was your personal guest in those moments where you are, maybe where you weren't supposed to be or where you shouldn't be, if Jesus was your guest in those moments, would your decision to stay or go or to watch that program, or to be part of that conversation, would it change? Because if he was right there with you, physically sitting next to you, and you're watching that certain show that maybe gives you a laugh once in a while, but you gotta weed through all the sexual garbage that's in there too, the innuendos, or the violence, or all the stuff that goes on, the language. How long would you sit with Jesus watching a show that repeatedly used GD? Well, well, Jesus isn't physically there. Yeah, well, he's in here. If the answer is yes, it would change if Jesus was physically there, then you have all the evidence that you need to make the decision to get out of there, to run. I love how Joseph ran from sin. Potiphar's wife. I mean, he ran and she Sin, adultery, even tried to grab him, took his cloak, and he tore out of there. Oh, the places we allow ourselves to go as Christians. And I think it's, I, you know I love you, right? I think it's absolutely sickening to the Lord at what his church allows, where they allow themselves to go. I believe it breaks his heart for him to know the blessings that he wants to pour on you and how we actively push him and his blessings away when we decide to go places that we should never go or be around people we should never be around. First Timothy talks about people's conscious, consciences being seared as with a hot iron. And we have become a seared people because of what we have allowed to influence us, seared, calloused, even comfortable with sin sometimes. Christians make bold statements about God, family, and country, yet many at the same time will let the sinfully evil and corrupt things into their lives through decisions they make about the places they allow themselves to go, places they have become comfortable with, places in which we should never feel comfortable as God's children. And let me be bold this morning, there's something wrong with you spiritually if you're more comfortable in the devil's presence and all the sinful influence that's there than being in the presence of God. 
If being in God's presence makes you uncomfortable, but being somewhere where you're around evil and the devil's presence, it's comfortable to you, then there's something wrong. And I don't need to get into the, de- the details of defining what places, what media outlets, or what people are, are, are life-giving and which ones are not. You're all smart enough to figure that out. The scriptures are full of instruction on these things too. Proverbs 4.24, avoid all perver- perverse talk, stay away from corrupt speech. Avoid all perverse talk. Does the scripture say, yeah, unless it's kind of funny? Or... Avoid all perverse talk when you want to. It doesn't say that, it just says avoid it. Stay away from corrupt speech. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25 says don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. I'm gonna tell you right now, I got convicted when I read that because I'm like, how many people avoid me because I I have a hot temper sometimes? It convicted me. Don't befriend angry people or associated with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Yeah, I'm hot-tempered. I'm Irish. You know, we give all of our little excuses, right? But what if we're endangering people's souls? It's not funny anymore, is it? It should break our hearts. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? You can apply that to your dating life. You can apply that to your business life. You can apply that to having friends. Again, if our purposes aren't right, our motives aren't right to win unbelievers to Christ, then we shouldn't be there. The road to hell is gonna be crowded with people who have followed others into those places where consciences are are seared and comfortable association with sin is not only tolerated but celebrated. There's churches that celebrate their tolerance for sin. This ain't gonna be one of them, as long as I'm pastor. And that doesn't mean I think we're better than everybody. Understand, that doesn't mean I think I'm better than anybody. I'm just a sinner who's found grace. But I'm not gonna change what sin is. I can't do that. The word of God lays that out for us, what it is. All the places we go physically. All the places we go mentally. You know, the other night, it was this last week, we were, I don't know, it was about nine o'clock or so in the evening, and Pastor Donnie's wife, Megan, came over to pick up Maddie. I think Maddie was over helping Alyssa do something or hanging out with her. And Alyssa came out to meet her at the door or whatever, and she goes, Megan, stop. There was a four-foot bull snake crawling across our driveway. It was about this big around, and Megan's foot, I think she, she was wearing sandals or something, wasn't she? So her toes were, like, exposed. Anyway, she just about stepped on it. And... Uh, yeah, the snake looked like this. It's pretty big. That's, what we, that's the actual one. We took the picture. So He's just crawling across, doing his thing. And it, it's, it's kind of funny because some people really get creeped out by snakes. I really don't. I, I don't mind snakes. You know, they, 
Some of them eat bugs, and I like that because you know I don't like bugs. They take care of your mice problems. If you've got snakes like that around, you don't have any crickets. You know, that's kind of nice. But anyway, the snake was there, and Megan and Alyssa especially does not like snakes. Like, at all. Like, she gets just like that. And so she's seen the thing. She was freaking out that we were picking it up and getting it in a bucket, and um, we ended up throwing it in the river down the roadways, just get it out of the neighborhood. But she was shaken. Is there anybody that'd be shaken a little bit after seeing that in your front driveway? A few, few people. Any guys out there admit it? Yeah, a few guys don't like snakes either, yeah. <laughs> so she's in, she's, I, we went to the river, put threw it in there or whatever, and then we, we came back and, and uh, uh, we, uh, I, I was in the, the house then and Alyssa had gone into the, the bathroom to take a shower or something for the night and um, I hear this noise reminded me of my brother screaming. It was the noise of my wife screaming. I'd never heard her scream like that before, ever. It wasn't loud. It was just like strange. And so I run into the bedroom. I'm like, oh no, is there a snake in the bedroom? That's what my thinking was. And, and so I knock on the door and I said, and this is what she saw as she came around the corner in her makeup bag. I want to tell you what that is. It's a makeup brush and two hair clips. Right? <laughs> but here's the deal. When you've just seen a snake and you've been freaked out by the snake and you walk around the corner and I imagine you were probably in a towel or getting ready to shower, you're sort of feeling a little vulnerable anyway, right? And you see that coming out of your makeup bag, you're gonna freak out, right? How many would blame Melissa for screaming on that? That, that? How many understand? Yeah, all right, all right. It looks like a shrew. So within this topic of the places we go, we just can't avoid those places that exist between our ears. Our minds go places all the time, places they shouldn't go. Now, th th that was warranted. <laughs> But if it wasn't for the fear of the snake earlier, that would have never happened. At least I don't think it would have. We jump to conclusions, we allow vain imaginations to dictate what we actually believe about ourselves, others, and the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. It's the battlefield of the mind, as Joyce Meyer so eloquently put it. And praise God, we are at a place at the, in the church where there's some light being shed on the subject of mental health and how we have personal responsibilities in maintaining our mental health and how we even uh, have to come, or we have to come to realize that the devil's dirtiest work is often done in distorting how we process truth in our minds. All of that, there's been light shed on that and that's a good thing. But before we allow ourselves to camp out on the negative, before we allow ourselves to believe those lies that the devil is so skilled at whispering in our ears, before we react to our minds telling us how we're going to feel about something, we need to do what the Bible tells us to do. 
In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretense, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Before we start traveling to places in our minds that we ought not to travel to, we need to remember to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, who is the living word of God. In other words, it's, it's not about uh, what we feel or even what our imaginations have distorted in our thought life uh, to make us believe what we're believing in the moment. It's about the truth that, that's in the word of God alone. He's our source. Nothing wrong with feeling your feelings, but what does the truth of God's word say about the situation you find yourself in? Don't go to those negative places. Stay away from them. Avoid them at all costs. Fear is not our master. It's not our master. And I feel like I need to say this right now because we got a family who's been really going through it this last week. You know, Tim and Kim Neighborhouse, their, their daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I think they're watching probably right now. So Tim and Kim and, and Kaylee, family, let me tell you this personally, do not let fear master you. Do not let fear master you. It's not our master. Anxiety does not have to rule us. Well, I have anxiety issues, so it's like sometimes we go to a place where we think that we have to deal with that the rest of our lives and it's just gonna be part of our lives. Anxiety does not have to rule us. Depression does not have to be a life sentence to which there is no relief or cure. And these are all real conditions of the soul that cripple so many people. Some of them are, are conditions of the body too. I get that. But they don't have to cripple us. God says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's what David the psalmist said, and it's God's word. That's what he tells us to do. It's our example. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His word says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All of that is about mental health as far as I'm concerned. I mean, lying down in green pastures, that's like that place of peace that we all want. He leads me beside still waters. I know what still waters are. I was just up there. Beautiful. Calming. Just the world and its concern, all the concerns, it just melts away when you're by those still waters. And it's like glass, and you can't tell if you're looking, if, it's, if the reflection is real or if the real is real. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. He restores my soul, our mind, will, and emotions. He restores it. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So when all the evil is coming in on me, when all the, the thoughts that the devil is throwing at me, when all the vain imaginations are attacking me, when all this stuff's coming in, it's like, oh, I just can't take this. He says, I'm going to throw you a banquet. I'm going to prepare a table for you, and you can sit, and you can eat, and you can enjoy, and I got your back. That's the kind of God we serve, church. He goes on to say, and this is Psalms 23, of course, verse one through six, you should reread that. It's wonderful, wonderful truths in there. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, 
Surely goodness will follow me. Surely mercy will follow me. How many need mercy every single day? You know, we, we, we need grace. Grace is, is, is uh, getting what you don't deserve, right? We like grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. I need mercy every day. Mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the outcome, no matter what happens, I have a home that's being prepared for me in heaven, and I'm going to get to dwell there forever. I mean, that brings peace, encouragement, joy, even in the midst of the most horrific storms, if you can keep focused on it. And not let your mind go to places that it should not. And understand, the places you allow yourself to go physically can have a direct effect on the places you go mentally. I wonder how Jesus responds to some of the places we allow ourselves to go mentally. Oh, places my followers go. If only I could keep you from going down those destructive paths of mental thought and runaway emotions. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace, all who trust you. Do you trust him? Are you in perfect peace? You will keep in perfect peace all who trust him. Are you? All whose thoughts are fixed on you. There's peace to be had, church. Even in the midst of all the turmoil going on. Whatever situation you find yourself in. Psalm 1611 says, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Fullness of joy? Have you ever been full of joy? I mean, there was a, a young lady at camp one year when I was in South Dakota that got so full of joy at the altar she could not stop laughing. And some people thought she was faking it and she was, she was just a being goofy in church, trying to get attention. And so I, picked, I went over, I picked her up. She happened to be a niece of mine, so it was not quite as weird. I picked her up, I carried her into a room out back because it was loud laughing. Two and a half hours later, we go in that room, she's still busting the gut, laughing all by herself. Didn't stop. She struggled with depression. And the joy of the Lord hit her and filled her. She was filled with joy for hours. That's the kind of God we serve, fullness of joy in his presence. We need to be reminded that there are healthy and unhealthy destinations for our minds. There are places that we should avoid. I love the movie, A Beautiful Mind. It's a true story of a, a Nobel Prize winner, John Nash, who struggled with schizophrenia. He saw people, real people. They were real to him. He had conversations with them. Nobody could convince them they weren't real in the beginning. And then he began to figure it out because he was so smart. And when they asked him how he got over it and got around it and got through it, because I think, I think the story is he, he really didn't want to be on the medication because it made him a zombie. He said, he said this, like a diet of the mind, I choose not to indulge certain appetites. I mean, that'll preach. 
Like a diet for my mind, I choose not to indulge in certain appetites. There's things that we like thinking about. There's places we like to go in our mind because it just stirs us up. I want to watch that news so I can get really angry about it. Right? I want to get in there and just brr. Or I want to do this, or I want to do that. Or I, I mean, lots of places you can go. Not just anger, all sorts of places, right? Even lustful places, imaginations. The places we go mentally sometimes are places we should not go. And then there's places we go spiritually. I want to be pretty specific with this area this morning. Just like there are healthy and unhealthy places that we can go physically and mentally, there are healthy and unhealthy places we can go spiritually. And let me narrow that scope a little for you because that's a really vast way to say it, I guess, and I just want to narrow in what I'm meaning this morning and for this, the sake of this message. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives the church some instruction about the fivefold ministry gifts. He says there will be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then he says that their job is to equip, equip God's people to do the Lord's work. He doesn't say they're supposed to do the work themselves. They equip the people, God's people, to do the Lord's work. And they're also this build up the body of Christ. And then he, then he says that this will continue until there is such unity in our faith and knowledge of Jesus that maturity in Christ will be the result. Even, listen to this, even the full and complete standard of Christ. That's what unity will produce in the body. Maturity in Christ to the point where we're, we fulfill and complete the standard of Christ. Amazing, amazing scripture. And so if, I'll pick it up in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Then he says this, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Powerful verse for the church to live out. Being influenced, though, by every wind of doctrine, being distracted, as Pastor Guy talked about last week, spiritually speaking, letting our focus shift from those main things that we need to keep focused on to running down roads of doctrinal belief that are just not healthy. I mean, oh, there's some unhealthy doctrines out there. And again, they may be permissible, but just not beneficial. I said early in this message that there will be those who turn away from the faith increasingly as we approach the last days. And one of the big reasons for this within the church is that they're not keeping the main thing the main thing. What's important? What is important as a church? What is important that we ought to do as the church? Not as you, you individually as part of the church. Not just this church, the big C church. What's important? The word of God read every day as your diet. As if you can't live without it. Prayer. Communication with God every single day. Talking to him, listening back to what he has to tell you. How many know that those are important? 
You know what people don't do in the church? Read the word and pray. Sit in his presence. I mean, maybe it's worship music. Most of us are pretty good at that. We can turn on the radio, we can turn on our music, we, we, we can sit and worship in his presence, as long as there's music, right? But have you ever just sat in silence and worshiped God? Told him how amazing he is, how wonderful he is, how worthy he is of your life, of everything that you can give, everything you are? Church isn't very good at that. Sometimes we just need to keep the main thing the main thing and quit running after every brand new revelation that comes out by some preacher or prophet or some new method of how to get there. There's an old song that said, give me that old time religion. You know, I'm not much of a guy for religion. I don't like religion. In, in my definition I don't like, of religion, I don't like that song. But if, if, if the point of the song is, just give me the basics and let me do it with all my might, I love the song then. We get so caught up in all this other stuff, we start following winds of doctrine that we don't need to follow, and the devil can get us all confused and messed up, and pretty soon, I, you know, guys, I've, I know there's a lot of you that have been saved a lot longer than me, but I'm 50 now, so I can say some things, finally, in my life. I've seen people run after these hot topic kind of new doctrines or I don't know what you even call them, winds of doctrines, these new things, this new revelation that comes down the pike. And you know what, I've seen that and I've even been a part of it somewhat and I've also seen some of the same people not serve God five years later. Give me the meat and potatoes. Yes, there's dessert. I'm not denying that there's not any dessert. And dessert's good, but give me the meat and potatoes and then give me another helping. And then give me another helping. And then give me another helping. And when I get the meat and potatoes down, maybe I can get the dessert down sometime. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to y'all? So many believers look for that quick fix. Microwave Jesus, fast track to spiritual success. They look for that fresh word from the Lord that's gonna just change them in a moment. And I have some news for you this morning. Nowhere in scripture were the heroes of the Bible instantly changed to complete maturity in Christ. They were changed, you bet, but then they went through something to get them more mature. Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus. He was instantly changed, but then he was led into the desert where he was taught by Jesus for a few years before he fulfilled his calling. So I want to be clear this morning, before you jump on the bandwagon of the newest revelatory teaching, before you are in with the newest and greatest communicator of the word of God, make sure that you are living out the basics of your faith. The foundational truths of our biblical beliefs are the springboards, by the way, to the new revelation that God has for you. In these last days, we can't afford to become unbalanced in what we believe. We must remain mindful of the places we allow ourselves to go spiritually speaking, or maybe a better way to put it is this, doctrinally speaking for our spiritual well-being. I uh, know people that chase revivals. I love revival. How many love revival? You know what revival is? It's God reviving something that used to be alive but now is dead, and he's going to revive it and revive it and make it alive again. Right? That's revival. I love revival. But I know people that chase revival. 
you know, and I, I, I back in the, the uh, late 90s, there was a move of God in Pensacola, the Brownsville Revival, and somebody's got a church there. Actually, the, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on that church in a wonderful, magnificent way on Father's Day. And it fell on them, and they had services every... I, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to miss some of this. I, I went to some of the services. I drove down there. We went down there. I even took Pastor Jared down there. He fell through a window. I went. Through, <laughs> you were pushed right through a hotel window, and we had to pay for that. But you know, we took some people down there just to experience it, and it was amazing. It was wonderful, and I could tell you story after story. I thought that was so awesome. I mean, every church every night of the week, really. But people, they were craving it. They wanted to be in God's presence so bad. There were some amazing things that happened. There, there were, I, I remember we had to get there like at seven o'clock in the morning for seven o'clock service at night or you wouldn't get a seat. Wouldn't that be a good problem to have in a church? People that hungry for the word of God. And when you have that kind of hunger and that kind of passion, that kind of desire, great things happen. And you know what? We, we saw some wonderful things happen. Somebody laid hands on me and prayed for me. And man, I, I, I was down on the floor. I don't, they didn't push me. They didn't do anything weird to me or anything. But I was just, boom, in the presence of God. And I laid there for like a long time just being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And I know a lot of people experience that same thing. And then you have people that want to mimic it and redo it and redo it. And then you have the people that want to chase it. And every time they go to the altar, they want to be pushed down by the Spirit of God. My thought was, if God, God might have had to knock me down once, but I'm not going to live in a way where he needs to knock me down twice. You understand what I'm saying? And if he wants to and he needs to, go for it, God. But I'm not, I'm not looking for that. There was all sorts of weird doctrines that came out of that movement, but there was some good stuff too. People mess things up. That's what I'm getting at. Don't just chase doctrine that you don't need to chase. Don't go down roads, spiritually speaking, doctrinally speaking, that you shouldn't go to. It's not good for your, for your spirit. It's not good for your walk. Oh, the places we go. Physically, mentally, spiritually. There's healthy places to go and there are even unhealthy places. They're really excited about what I'm preaching downstairs this morning. I love hearing those kids scream for the Lord down there. It just gives me, makes me grin. Let's purpose in our hearts today to be self-aware of where we are going where we are. And let's be intentional enough to make choices, right choices, in our destinations, our planned destinations. We don't need to hang out in places where we can, we, we can get stung. <laughs> we don't need to hang out in places where we can get bit, physically, mentally, or spiritually. We just need to be in his presence and walk with him every single day. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are a God of love, that you are a God that never runs out of grace and you never run out of mercy. Lord, no matter how many times we, we flub up, we mess up, 
even in the choices we make and the places we go, God, I, I know you're forgiving when we're repentant. So God, as a people today, as a church today, we do repent. We say if there's places we've gone mentally, physically, or even spiritually, God, we're sorry that we shouldn't have gone. We're sorry. Reveal those to us and help us have the ability, the power, the, the will, God, to just not go to those places anymore. Give us the tools we need, God. Put us around the people we need to be around. We know hanging out with fools brings us trouble, but God, hanging out with the wise makes us wise. Put those people in our lives. Help us to be people that seek those kinds. Lord, I pray for, as we make those changes, Lord, that blessings would run after us, that your goodness would pursue us in such a way that we would see a difference in our life, a difference in our ability to just worship you in spirit and in truth, a difference in our ability to understand your word, a difference in our ability to pray and, and not, let it, not, not have it be monotonous to us. God, we want that vital, real relationship that you have, that you want for us to have with you. All across this room, is there anybody in here just said, yeah, whether it's the first time you ever made a decision like this or it's just a, a reboot of the decision you made long ago, but you just need to say, yeah, I've been going to some bad places, some wrong places, places I shouldn't. Maybe they were permissible, but they're not beneficial even. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to get my heart right, my life right. I, I want to come to Christ this morning again and lay it all down at his feet. I see those hands. Is there anyone else? Places we just don't need to be going. All right. Let's pray this as a congregation. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart once again. Mold me. Shape me. Make me yours. I want to live for you. I walk away from my sin today. And I know I can stand forgiven in your presence. I give you my heart. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's awesome. It's awesome. How many know God's good? Amen. Well, go have some fun. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.